Let's give the Lord a hand. Well, we've been talking about doomsday preppers now for about, I think it's been eight weeks, something like that, seven or eight weeks. And uh, I've called this doomsday preppers one more time. Uh, actually, uh, that's not what I called it. I just kind of made that my subtitle. Um, what I'd like to talk about today is something that we, we see all the time, that we hear all the time, that it's, that it's seeped into our very being. And we're going to talk about something this morning that every single one of us have had an experience with. Some of us have been able to overcome a little better than others. But every single one of us has been involved in this this morning. And I'm getting the message out. I need to dismiss the children. So, uh, you know where you need to go? And I, you know, they, these guys that do this all the time, they know exactly where to point them. So teachers, get back there and round them up, please. <laughs> And I'm not familiar with this, but you know what? The Holy Spirit's in charge anyway. But anyway, with, with the, something that we're all involved in, and, and involved with, and have been, and, and some of us are learning a little bit how to break loose from this, and we're talking about doomsday preppers preparing our families. Now, we're not talking about... Uh, we're not talking about... Uh, putting back stores of food. We're not talking about uh, uh, having a, a cache of gasoline or, or building an underground uh, fortress or in, things like that. You can do that if you want to. I mean, I'm not saying anything against that, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is preparing ourselves for the end of days. We know that that we can easily be overwhelmed by what's going on in these days. And, and Pastor Sam has had a, a saying all of these seven or eight weeks. He says, we do not want to be overwhelmed by the end of days, but we want to be overwhelmed by the action of days. In other words, what the things that's going on around us, you can't control. You can't do anything about it. But what you can do is rest confidently in the ancient of days that he does have control, that he's in charge of the situation. Although it doesn't seem to be to this natural eye of ours. And that's what we're talking about today. We've been hearing so many things in, the, in this last days. And we know we're in the last days because when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, when it was established, that officially put us in the last days. And I know, I, you know, people saying, well, we've been preaching last days since, since Pentecost. But look at what's going on around us. We realize, we recognize that things that are going on around us in the news, we can recognize in Scripture. And if you look closely at it, you could get really upset about it. You could become overwhelmed by it. But we don't want to be overcome, overcome or overwhelmed by these things. We want to see what the Scripture has to say about our place in the last days. Now, we hear a lot of things on the news, and I just checked this morning, just, just kind of checking it out. Uh, things about terrorism and terrorists and that, that sort of thing. And this morning, I just checked the website, just... Just out of curiosity, there were at least three reports of terrorism around the world. And one of them was in Yemen, one of them was in Saudi Arabia, and, and, and the ones in Saudi Arabia, they were declaring a jihad uh, against all of those that, that weren't believers, if you will. Now, the word jihad, of course, we, we understand that it means holy war. You know what the Spirit pointed out to me this morning? And, and I was just thinking about this, sitting there reading about this, and the Spirit says... 
You cannot have a holy war in the natural world. It's just a war. It's just shooting, just killing, just disarming, uh, dis- dismembering and, and maiming people. It's not a holy war. Where can you fight a holy war? Only in the Spirit. That's right. We, we have to fight our, our war in the heavenlies. And that's, that really would be a holy war. But what people are calling a holy war in this natural is just a war. And we don't want to get caught up in that. But we want to understand where we stand in this, in this day. Now, first of all, the first thing we need to find out is what is terror? I mean, we talk about terrorism. We talk about terrorists. What is terror? Well, Here's the thing. We're going to talk about disarming the terrorists this morning. And terror is a very strong feeling of fear or cause of anxiety. Very strong. Not just a little bit of fear. You know, I might be afraid when I'm out working in my shop that I might cut my finger with one of my saws or something like that. You know, And that's kind of, if I do my safety procedures correctly, I shouldn't be afraid of that. But you could be afraid of that. But that's not terror. Terror is something that causes very strong fear. Something that, that gets down deep inside you and, and makes you afraid, really afraid of something that's going on. You can look at the headlines and you can allow terror to change the way you feel. That's what terrorism is all about. That's why these people, that's why these people do what they do. Terrorism is this. It is the systematic use of terror especially as a means of coercion. In other words, and you have to think about this politically because we just talked about the fact that it really has nothing to do with a spiritual thing. But, uh, the, you know, this is a political thing and a religious thing. But it still comes down to the politics. They use terror. Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. They use terror to make you think the way they want you to think. And I'm, I'm not talking just about those that may be in Islam or whatever. I'm talking about terrorists all over the world in a political sense. They might not like America. They might not like the democratic way of doing things. They might not like capitalism. They have a way they want to do it. And they will use terror to convince you that yours is the wrong way and ours is the right way. Oh, by the way, if you don't believe in it, that's okay, but you better do it because we're going to uh, we're going to have bombs out there on the side of the road, or we're going to we're going to bring terrorists into your your schools, or you bring terrorists into uh, uh, movie theaters or whatever. Folks, what's going on in these schools and 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 movie theaters and all that? It's terrorism. Now it may be domestic terrorism, but it's terrorism. And I don't know what this is all about, except for one thing. I know who's in charge of it. You know, they can have all kind of political beliefs. These terrorists I'm talking about, but it doesn't change the fact. That it comes from one place. Now, if you think about this just for a moment, we've the U.S. has declared war on terrorism. You, you remember the president coming on television and declaring war uh, on terrorism. Now, I believe it was back, might have been back in Iraq or, or Kuwait or one of those, you know, not just a few years back, it's been several years back, that the United States of America declared war on terrorism. Now, we went into Libya... And we took down a fellow by the name of Gaddafi because he was financing terrorists. We went into uh, Kuwait and, and we uh, defended Kuwait against a, a, a fellow by the name of Hussein because he was a, a 
advocating terrorism. Then we finally went into Iraq and dethroned him. And then we had a terrorist attack on America on, on September the 11th, 2001. And we went out and found the fellow that, that we said was responsible for it, Osama bin Laden, found him and killed him. Now, that should take care of terrorism, right? It's all done, right? Uh, you're all shaking your heads, no. Absolutely, that's not taking care of terrorism. You want to know why? Because we rooted out Gaddafi. We rooted out Hussein. We rooted out Osama bin Laden. But we didn't get the head terrorist. And the head terrorist name is Satan. And he uses terror in a way to not only make us afraid in our natural lives, he terrorizes our spiritual lives as well. And if you want to see what we're talking about, we're going to get into this a little bit today. And I'm going to show you where your spiritual life is held back by the terrorism of Satan. And we need to disarm him today. Satan doesn't use the same kind of weapons. When we think about terrorist attacks, we think about the bombs. We think about airplanes flying into the uh, uh, the United Nations building. Uh, you know, the Twin Towers. We, we think about those sort of things. We think about uh, people coming in and, and just the other day we, there was a deal where they got on a bus and they killed a bunch of people because they, they were going to try to make people believe the way they want to believe. And, and all of this, you know, terrorist, terrorism. It's all about getting you in a place that you're afraid to do what you know is right to do. To put you in a place that you're afraid to do what the Lord tells you to do. That you're afraid to step out on the promises of God. And it's not just people with guns. Satan, the main terrorist, is working overtime, day and night, to convince you that you shouldn't be doing the things God told you to do. Because number one, if you do, then I'm going to step in there and I'm going to cause you real problems. Come on, be honest. Have, have you ever thought that? If I really do what God wants me to do, that, then I know that I'm going to be tormented. I know the devil's going to come and, and he's going to try to trip me up. How about, I, I know I have. It's been that way in the past, yeah. But as we learn more about what terror is and we learn more about what we have in us, then we can learn how to fight that. Now, Satan doesn't use guns or bombs, but he does have three very powerful weapons that he uses against us. And interestingly, he uses all three of these weapons in our mind. And, and I know that, that that's his arena of battle. But you may say, you know, well, I've, I've got cancer, uh, and that's not in my mind. Or um, I I'm, I'm, don't have a job, so I'm, right now I'm, I'm pretty much living in poverty. That's not in my mind, you know. Or, I'm addicted to some substance. That's not in my mind. Of course it's not in your mind. But it started in your mind. The first place that it started, that's where the arena of battle first took place was in your mind. And it took a foothold. And we allow the foothold in there. And then it becomes not only in your mind, it becomes manifested through our natural lives. So, he doesn't use guns or bombs or anything like that. But he has these three weapons that he uses against us. The first one is sin. Just plain old sin. What is sin? Well, it's an offense or a transgression against the law of God. Now, of course, we know the Scripture where it talks about in James about sin being 
conceived in the mind. That it's just conceived there, and then when we act upon it, it becomes sin. So when we, we find ourselves in a place of sin, we're really terrified when you think about that, because we know that we're not doing what God wants us to do, right? So here's the scenario. When people know that they've sinned against God, they're afraid to ask God to do anything for them because I don't deserve that, right? I don't deserve for God to change what's going on in my life because I've sinned against Him. That's the first weapon He uses against us. The second weapon He uses against us is accusations. The name Satan actually means literally the accuser. Now, there's two particular places in the Bible we can actually see Satan standing before the throne of God accusing people. The first is in Job, the first chapter, where he's walked... By the way, this was interesting. I was reading this this week, and it says, Job, the first chapter, he ends up standing before God, and he said, where did you come from? And Satan says, oh, I've just been walking back and forth and to and fro. What's that sound like? Sounded like over there in Second Peter where it says that, that uh, he's a, like a roaring lion, uh, roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That's exactly what the Scripture is talking about. So he just went going back and forth, to and fro. And then he talks about Job his perfect servant. And, and then God dismisses him. And we'll get back to Job in just a minute. But then in, in uh, Jeremiah, I believe it's the third chapter, Satan ends up before the Lord. And, and he's, he's talking to him and he's, he's trying to, to uh, c- come against Joshua, who was a, that, the name of the high priest at this time. And he, he's just kind of trying to make it look bad before God. And you know what God said? He said, just, I rebuke you, Satan. Just get out of here. I don't have to listen to that. And the thing is, we can do the same thing. He comes and he, when he can't accuse us before God, because God kicks him out, he won't listen to it. These are his children that he's talking about. God's not going to hear it. I ask you this question. As a parent, somebody comes in and starts bad-mouthing your kids. What are you going to tell them? There's the door, Jack. You can get out the door. Uh, you know, I want to talk about my kids. That's what God did. Now, he might not can stand there and accuse us before God, but he tries to. But he will come to you and accuse you because he knows that you're not going to think, well, I got the same authority and I can tell him to leave. So he just comes and, and he just hangs around, whispers in your ear. You know, I know what you did last night. You know, I know what you did uh, last year. I know what you did when you're 17 years old. You know, keeps accusing, keeps bringing those things to our remembrance and to our minds, using fear, fear of the Lord. You know, using fear to keep His accusations moving in our lives and keeping us afraid of what God will do for us. And the third thing, uses strongholds. Now, a stronghold in the natural, it kind of indicates like a castle, or a fortress, or, or a, a, a place of strength that you can defend, you know. Uh, but in the, in, the, in the spiritual, it indicates a well-established idea, or concepts, or reasoning. And he builds these things in our mind, and, and he just puts the... Actually, he doesn't build them. Let me back up a little bit. He puts the thought, he puts the grain there, just the, just the thought... And we build them in our mind. Now, we can't keep thoughts from running through our mind. We can't do that. It's when we dwell on those things, when we allow ourselves to build strongholds upon those thoughts that becomes a problem in our life. 1 Corinthians says, 
For though we walk in the flesh, let me, let me go back on that, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, I'm sorry. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now this is what I was speaking a while ago about the jihad. We're not fighting in the flesh. Our jihad is in the spirit, so to speak. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, number one, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, the devil has managed to do three things pretty well. And we, we understand that we're not fighting a natural battle. We understand it's not flesh and blood. That we're not uh, using strength of our arm or, or the ability of our, uh, of our weaponry or whatever. Our weapons are, are not carnal, but mighty in God for, for bringing down these strongholds. But now there's three things the devil does pretty good that are strongholds in our minds. I'm talking about all Christians. And we have to work through these things. Number one, he's made peop his people passive. I'm talking about the devil has. He's made God's people passive and make us think that God has done all sorts of bad things to us and bad things happen in our lives. And you know, I've heard people say, I don't know why God just keeps tempting me with that. Well, God doesn't. First chapter of James says that God cannot be tempted, neither does He tempt any man. But you know, the devil has convinced us that it's God that's tempting us. And who is the tempter? You can look over in Matthew and find out who the tempter was. He's the one that came before Jesus and tempted Jesus. Now if He'll tempt Jesus, the Son of God, what do you think He's going to do with you? Or me? The temptation is always going to be, he's going to be kicking it around in our lives and, and you're going to be stumping your toe on it. You know, everywhere you turn, there's going to be some kind of temptation. But you don't have to fall. You don't have to give in to it. You don't have to, to, to listen to it. So he's done this. He's made us think that, that the Lord has done bad things to us. And uh, then number two, he wants to make us believe that even when we discover God's promises in His Word that they're not really for me. And, and here's kind of one of the things I want to talk about. My life last year was kind of a... Uh, I, I, I've told several people in here that last year was my Job year. I went through a lot of things and, and it just seemed like one thing after another, after another, after another. But you know what? In all of that, God made me see something Real. You know, and, and, and we think about, well, I know God can heal. And I know God, you know, I, I know that he, he says in His Word that He wants to heal. And I know He wants to heal me. But, you know, it might not be for me. You know, you have this little thing in the back of your mind and you're laying there in, in the bed at night and, and you're thinking, well, I know God does heal. But I, I'm not sure that I'll be healed. But one of the things that you have to understand is that when God says that His healing is for you, that the devil is lying to you when he says, but maybe not for you. I, I told this once before here, and, and I'll tell it now again. Last year when I, I found out I had cancer, the doctor here locally gave me a, uh, the book to get and read about cancer. And he said, I want you to read this so you understand about it. Well, at this particular time, my faith was pretty much up here. And I started reading this book on the cancer and everything that involved with, with the disease that I was about to battle. 
And as I began to read it, I could feel my faith beginning to, to come down. And, and I, w- I could understand what was going on in my body by reading this book, but I also I realized all of a sudden that what was going on in my spirit was more disastrous than what was going on in my body. And so I told Trish, I said, I said I'm not going to read anymore. I just, the Spirit of the Lord has spoken to me and told me, and actually did, I actually heard this in a, in a, a, a spiritual voice asking, why are you reading that? You don't need to know that because I've got it handled already. You don't know, need to know just exactly what's going on because I'm taking care of it. And I told Trish, I said, I, I'm disobeying God by reading this book. And so I said, I'm not reading another page. And I think I'd read about a chapter of it or maybe a chapter and a half I haven't read another word in that book since that day and then I felt my faith coming back up and you know what I stand here today having had a checkup back just a few months ago I stand here today they can't find any cancer in me bless you Lord bless you Lord and because I didn't allow that fear to build up in me and have its way in me and I don't take any credit for it because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He spoke to me in, in a way that made me think, oh, I just got spanked, you know? Have you ever spanked your kids knowing that it was going to be a good lesson for them? You don't want to do that. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and rebuked me in a way that let me know that He had it taken care of. Don't worry about it. So when that, that terror... And I can, you know, those of you that may have suffered some things like this... You lay there at night, Trish is asleep, you know, it's dark in the room, and you're looking at a dark ceiling, and all these things are going through your head. That's his battleground. And I can tell you right now, if you start praising God, and giving God the glory, and getting in His presence, because you know what? In God's presence, that stuff can't live. Disease can't live in the presence of God. He's not going to let it... uh, Loneliness can't live in the presence of God. Despair can't live in the presence of God. When you get in the presence of God, all of those things that are negative in your life have to go away because they can't enter into that place. So, when we get to the place that we spend more time in His presence, then we're also in the place that there's less time the devil has time to play in our minds. So, The third thing is to make us believe that God, our Heavenly Father, is hard to receive from. Now, you've got all kinds of names for God. I went through a bunch of names of God in the past uh, two or three weeks and talked about uh, Jehovah the the Healer and Jehovah Rapha is the Healer and Jehovah Jireh is the Provider. And you know, that's that's one thing we talk about, Jehovah Jireh being the Provider. And and Miss Steele, you hit on it this morning when you talked about those things happening to you. That, yes, Jehovah Jireh is the provider, but you know, you're thinking, and I know He provides, but what am I going to do when my mortgage comes due? You know, what, what will I do then? Well, you just stand back and watch God provide because He is the provider. You know, one of those things that, that sometimes we fail to understand is God will move heaven and earth to make His children okay. And you know, I, I think about the fact that, that there's so much out there that can attack your mind and God's saying, leave him alone. Leave her alone. That's my child you're messing with, and I'm not going to have it. 
All right. Notice all of these things have one thing in common. That's fear. All of these things have that one thing in common. It's fear. And fear is the ammunition in Satan's weapons. That's where we're getting to the disarming this morning. We've talked about a lot of different things, but fear is the ammunition in all of his weapons. We talked about the weapons that he's got, the things that he does, and fear is the one that he shoves in the barrel. That's what he's shooting at you all the time. Shooting fear at you. That's his ammunition. That's what we need to do is take it away from him. So what do we do? Well, we can't send out the United States Marines. They can't fight it. They, they, they fight it in the natural, but they can't fight it in the spiritual. And we need to understand his tactics and make them of no value to him in our lives. And when we make them of no value to him in our lives, when he realizes that his ammunition has been taken away from you, he'll leave you alone. Because he knows he doesn't have... You're not going to go into a gunfight unarmed. You know, if you've got a... Uh, if you've got a... An Uzi or a submachine gun or what... I don't know what the... the terms on my, my grandson knows all the, the new modern ones, but you know, it, you, if you don't have ammunition for it, it's like having a stick in your hand. You know, if you got a handgun in your pocket and no bullets in it, it's a rock. You throw it at them. So you have to have ammunition in your weapon. And that's when you take it away from him, then his weapons are unarmed. They're, they're not of any use any longer. Now, if we talk about fear, we need to know a spiritual definition of fear. Fear, biblically speaking, is the absence or degradation of faith, or you could say it's the reciprocal of faith. In other words, that just means they're opposite of each other. Fear and faith do not work together. They work opposite of each other. Now, it's one of those things where the reciprocal means just completely different. If I'm, if I'm walking north... And I want to walk south, what do I have to do? I have to turn around and go in that direction. Well, that's no big deal. I just turn around and go the other direction. That's changing my direction. If you want to get fear out of your life, then all you have to do is change your direction and learn about faith because fear and faith are completely reciprocal. They're completely opposites. Now, there's all kinds of fear. Fear of heights, fear of darkness, um, arachnophobia, fear of spiders, you know, and, and you want to get into the spiritual, there's fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of lack. And, and uh, even Jesus was subject to fear. What? What are you saying? Well, let's look at this realistically just for a moment. Luke, the 22nd chapter, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went and he was praying and he said this. He said, Father, let this cup pass for me, right? You remember when he said that. But then... There's another verse right behind that. It said that he began to pray more earnestly. And then as he began to pray more earnestly, what happened? The Scripture tells us that his sweat became as great drops of blood falling on the ground. Now, there'll be people that tell you that this was actually blood falling. There's people that'll tell you it's, it's sweat that, that's falling on the ground like he was bleeding. I don't know, and you know, it really doesn't make any difference. The, the, the thing is, he was in agony. He was praying. He was asking the Father to let this cup pass. As a matter of fact, there's a, another uh, uh, passage in one of the other Gospels that said he did this three times. He was praying earnestly. Why was he praying that earnestly? Well, it was because he feared. And you, some of you looking at me like, you're crazy. Well, I'm going to prove it to you. 
Jesus was scourged. Why? Somebody tell me. He got beat. So you didn't have to be sick, right? Jesus went on the cross, was hung on the cross and crucified. Why? For salvation, right? Scripture tells us, matter of fact, I'll read it to you right here. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 15 says this. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are without sin. I'm not saying Jesus stayed in the fear. I'm saying that He had to suffer the fear so you don't have to. So I don't have to. Jesus went through the fear and, and, and He overcame it because what at the end, what did He say? Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but Thine be done. He overcame the fear. He had the ability to overcome it. You know, and I'm not so sure about Jesus' fear. And the reason I say that He did fear is because I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about that and said, yes, He did fear, but He overcame it immediately. Was it because He knew He was going to be crucified and beaten and all that? Maybe, because He knew how much pain was going to be involved in it. Was it because that, that he knew he was going to uh, go to the cross and, and be crucified and, and killed? Yeah, maybe, you know. But I think it was this. I think that in Jesus, he realized that for a temporary time, a short time, three days, he was going to be completely separated from the Father's love. Jesus was from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been there, always will be there. But in this particular point in the life of the Son of God, He was a man. And He recognized and realized that for three days He could not be in the presence of His Father and know the presence of His Father around Him. And I think that's what Jesus was afraid of. But then it was overcame immediately because of one thing. Because He loved us so much. He was willing to go through it. And because of that, he overcame his fear. Now, a lot of people, I want to go back to Job now, just for a moment. A lot of people are afraid. We're talking about fear. A lot of people are afraid that, that God may do to them what he did to Job. Now, I'm, I'm saying that facetiously. I hope you understand. God didn't do anything to Job. And as a matter of fact, if you read in the first chapter of Job, it shows the devil coming before God and, he, and he's making his accusations and God says, what about my perfect servant Job? That's a key. My perfect servant Job. But there's also something in the first chapter of Job that we tend to overlook. And I'll tell you a real quick story about this. The fact that, that Job had seven sons and three daughters... And it talks about in the first chapter that they were continually getting together and they were having feasts and, and, and you know, festivals and, and, you know, they, they did all of these things. And Job, on a regular basis, made sacrifices. The word says this, this is not me, just in case they may have cursed God or did something against the laws of God. Read, first, read Job. I, I challenge you to do this. It's a tough book to read. It really is. I mean, because there's so much going on. But if you read that, you find out that Job, the word feared in this Hebrew was not the awe of God. It was the fear, I'm afraid of God type of fear. 
And because of that, he made continual sacrifice for his kids just in case. He thought he was heading everything off. But as the devil stood there and was talking to God, and he said, well, what about that, that uh, servant Job? Eh? Yeah, so what? You know, why does he fear you? He fears you for nothing. You've got a hedge around him. And then he told him, he said, if you'll curse the things that, that he has, if you'll take it away, if you'll touch it with your hand, that he'll curse you and, and, and die. And here's something very, this is key, it's important. God said, you have the power in your hand over these things. God did not give him permission to touch Job's life. I want you to understand that. God is not going to give the devil permission. Job already did that by opening up the door of fear. When he did all of those sacrifices out of fear, he opened the door. And all of these things happened to Job because God said, well, you've already got the power. I don't have to give you anything because you've already got it. He said, the only thing I'm not going to let you do, I'm not going to let you take his life. Okay, if, I believe it's the third chapter of Job. It is, yes, it's the third chapter of Job, verse 25. This is Job's words right here. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. That's Job's words right there. What he feared came into his life. How many times have you feared something, and then it, it, it came to pass in your life? You, know, you really just dreaded something, and there it was. And it's because we opened the door to fear. Now, in the 42nd chapter of Job, after this is all winding down, and he's been, he's been uh, decimated in all of his things and his life and whatever, in the 42nd chapter of Job, the first part of the 10th verse, the Word says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. That's the King James Version. Now, if you've got any version except the King James, it's going to say that the Lord restored to Job what he had lost. Any version. But I went back and looked at this, and captivity is the right word here. Because that's what the Hebrew word said. So he, he turned the captivity. So what does that tell you? That fear takes us captive. Fear can ensnare us. It, 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 it puts us in a prison, so to speak, to where the, we can't operate the way we're supposed to because he's got us bound, he's got us tied up, and we're unable to escape from it. Now, what's the greatest fear of all? The greatest fear of all is the fear of death. And every other fear is just a stepping stone toward it. And here's, I'm going to give you an example. Just, this is silly, but it's just an example. Let's just say I have a fear of rejection, okay? I have this fear of rejection. I got a good job, but I'm afraid that my boss doesn't like me. I'm afraid that he might not like me as a person. So then if I, if I'm afraid that he might not like me as a person, I'm afraid that I might do something wrong. And if I do something wrong, I'm afraid my boss might fire me. And if my boss fires me, then I don't have any money any longer. And if I don't have any money any longer, then I can't buy food. And if I can't buy food, I'm going to starve. And if I starve, I'm going to die. That's silly, right? But every fear is just a stepping stone toward that greatest fear of all. And when we understand about fear... And we understand really that the Word tells us that to be absent from this body, and, and Paul called it a tent, temporary abode, that when we're absent from this body, we're present with the Lord. To God, see, He doesn't look at death the same way we look at death. It, to, to God, it's like 
taking off this shirt, changing shirts. You know, no big deal. To us, it's a big deal, but to God, it's not. When we can understand that to God, death is not a big deal, it takes away the fear of death. Because when we die from this, when we put away this, this earthly garment, this temporary abode, we're going to be in the presence of the Father. And that makes all the difference. Now, we've talked about fear long enough. How do we, how do we change it? Well, there's a song that the Beatles made back in the 60s called All You Need Is Love. And I'm not really talking about the, the love that you find in this song. And, and somebody reminded me, I think it was Tommy who reminded me the other day that, about a song that said, looking for love in all the wrong places, you know. Now, yes, all you need is love, but we're not talking about this kind of love. We're talking about the kind of love, the agape love of the Father, the, the kind of love that, that we don't know on, on, on a natural level. We can only know on a spiritual level, and we can only know on, on a level that we acknowledge the presence of God. So all you need is love. 1 John, the fourth chapter, verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. There you are. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now that's key. I want us to remember that part about who abide, the, the he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Let's remember that part. We're going to run into it a little bit later. Because there is no fear in love, but... Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Why? And God answers it right here. He said, because fear involves torment. Read terror right here where torment was. Because fear involves terror. But he who fears has not been perfect in love. Now, Satan is the author of terrorism, and our Father wants to protect and save us from the head terrorists. So, love changes all that. Now, if you understand how much the Father loves you, when the storms of life come on you, you can be just like that small child that awakes in the middle of the night when a storm comes up and the lightning and the thunder is going on, you know, and, and he runs into the, the mom and dad's bedroom and he jumps up in the bed with his parents and crawls in between them and he's back asleep in five minutes. No big deal, right? That storms of life come up and he just gets where he knows he's loved. And folks, that's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. When we get into the storms of life, when we, when we run across the fear that, that the, the enemy throws into your mind, where do you run? You run to where you feel safe. You run to the love of the Father. You know, because this child that crawls in this bed knows that his mother and dad loves him so much that they would move heaven and earth to keep him safe. The only difference is our Heavenly Father can move heaven and earth. And He will move heaven and earth to keep us safe. Let's go back to, to 2 Corinthians 10 for a moment. I want to look at this one more time. And I want to read it a little bit differently. Now, we read in, in uh, John that God is what? God is love, Right? You can, this is audience participation. You can, you can go ahead and say that. God is love. So let's read this uh, uh, now in a little different light. And instead of saying, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, if we say that God is love, let's read it this way. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in love, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of... Love, 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's the same kind of love that Jesus was talking about to Peter when He said, well, Peter, do you love me? The agape love. Now, it finally got down to the, the like, are you my friend type of thing. But, but when He first asked Him about do you love me, He used the word agape, which is the perfect love of, of God. And that's the love that casts down the strongholds. Now, if faith is the absence of fear, which they're reciprocal, if, if faith is the absence of fear, and if we substitute the word for the, the word God, it, it totally changes the way you read Scripture sometime. Because if you look at 1 Timothy, the, the, first, the first chapter, I'm sorry, look at the second Timothy first chapter. I'll get it right in a second. Verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now let's go back and read that and insert love right where God is. For love has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we understand the attacks of Satan with the fear coming as his ammunition. Then we can also understand that knowing that God loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, the, the, the devil's really unarmed. He really doesn't have anything to throw against you. He really has no ammunition to put in his weapons. Romans the 8th chapter, verse 14 and 15 says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did, receive the, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Oh, now wait a minute. Let's read that again. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage Spirit of bondage again to fear. In other words, you're not bound up to fear anymore. It's no longer there. But you receive the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father. He didn't say, we say, Abba Father. You know, Daddy. No, he said, we cry, Abba Father. Daddy, the devil's messing with me. I need you. I need your love around me. I want to run into your arms of love. I want this devil to be cast away from me. I want him to, 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 to be away because I am delivered from this fear because of your love, O oh Lord. Whew. I am thrilled about the fact that I can call Elohim, the creator of all the universe, Daddy God. Daddy, creator, Elohim, Daddy. Don't you know the devil hates that when we recognize that and realize that uh, they found out that, daddy, that, that God's daddy, you know. Now what am I going to do? Now what am I going to throw at them? You don't have anything to, anymore to throw at us. You don't have that any longer. We've already established that He's our Daddy, that we've been given the spirit of adoption. Which is an interesting thing, by the way. Let me, let me just take a little short rabbit trail. I won't take long. Because I want to have a... The Lord has told me we're going to have a deliverance line. Not a prayer line. He said, I want you to have a deliverance line. Which means if there's something in your life that fear is tearing your life apart because something's going on, He wants you to be delivered of it this morning, okay? 
If we've been adopted into the family of God, according to Jewish law, that if an adopted child has the very same rights, the very same uh, uh, authority as the firstborn, and the firstborn is the one with the lion's share of all the inheritance and all the goods, you've been made a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The authority of God rests in you just as it rests in His Son, Jesus. You can call on the name of the Father. You can tell the devil, just go away and leave me alone. Just as easy as Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did He say? He said, it is written, leave me alone. And when the devil comes to you and brings fear into your mind and fear into your heart, you look into the Word and you say, it is written, devil, so go away and leave me alone. (laughs) We are the adopted children of our Father God. We are the adopted brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, James... Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God. We go right back up here where it says that if you're in God, that you're in love, right? So, therefore submit to love. Now, here's the key. You've got to be submitted to Him. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. And what's He going to do? He's going to flee from you. He's going to run. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to go into a dark alley with a, a fingernail knife, knowing I have to face thugs, right? Not going to do that. I'm not going to go and try to resist them. On the same token, I'm not going to go try to resist the devil in my own ability. But if I rest in God, if I am in God, if my daddy is God, and my daddy loves me so much, then he doesn't have, the devil I'm talking about, doesn't have enough weapons, enough ammunition, enough ability to do anything to me that I don't want done to me because my daddy is on call. And if I cry, Abba Father, here he comes and will deliver me. So you need to just resist the devil and chase him away. Because you are joint heir with Jesus Christ. I'd like you to stand with me. This is going to be a little bit different in the respect that I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads. I want you to look me dead in the eye. I want you to be honest with yourself. I feel the Spirit of the Lord here. I've got something in my life that I'm afraid of that is working in my head. And I, I, you know, maybe you hadn't told anybody about it. Maybe it's not, you don't think it's really a big thing. But is there something? that you hadn't got victory over? Is there some healing that you need? Is there something you you want deliverance from? Then I'm going to ask you to come on up to this altar right now. Just come on. Just release yourself. Come on up. There you go. Come on. God bless you. Come on. Line up right here. We're going to be set free today by the power and the the Spirit of of the Holy Ghost. This is not anything that Jim Carpenter is going to do. This is going to be by the power of God today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to ask our prayer warriors to come up here and give me some help. And I, I, I just, I, I'm going to say one more time. There's something in your life that you just want deliverance. And it doesn't have to be, it, you know, you know this is, I'm not talking about sin because Job didn't sin. It was not counted as sin against Job, but he had some fear there. If you've got fear, come on. Come on, we're going to get rid of this today.